escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Congratulations, Investi. My name is Albert Ukran. Welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard. This is your most inspirational show and that place where the greatest minds in the world converge. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Ghana and Enterprise Group with media support from the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Communications Group. So today, we bring you into the engine room with a woman who is on a mission across the world. The story is very simple. Everyone talks about brain drain and japa, moving people outside. She's talking about empowering, facilitating, supporting, and enabling people to redirect their energies from outside into the motherland to build a great and a strong nation. That's the kind of conversation we love to have here on Springboard. My guest, Christabel Irajua Dazi, CEO of Ahaspora. Christabel, good to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you for having me. It's a blessing. Thanks for being on this incredible mission. Yes, absolutely. So, Ahaspora, I like the name Ahaspora. <laughs> it has a, a funky blend between Aha and, and then the Spura. That's the whole idea. How did it come about? My mother, I give her credit. When I returned to Ghana from the US, she used to call me Ahaspora. Wow. Um, because she said I was no longer diaspora and then I wasn't Aha. That's really how it started. So when the idea of Ahaspa came up, I was like, oh, I have a name, and it, it caught like fire. Let's break down the whole concept. We'll go back to where it all began for you on your journey, but let's let's settle what is Ahaspa. So Ahaspa is just like its name. Aha, the tree word for here, and then spa, the stem of diaspora. So we're here from the diaspora. Um, and the idea is to support young Guinean professionals who've been abroad uh, to come home and make a difference. That's basically it. And like you said, I like to look at things positively. So we won't focus on brain drain, which is what everybody talks about. People are leaving Africa. Our focus is on brain gain. How do we bring us back to leverage our human capital, um, leverage our economic development, leverage the new people we become. Um, Reverend O'Kran, you were well-traveled. So you know that when you are a foreigner in somebody's land, you build some sort of resilience, particularly when you go as a young person. And we want to bring these skills back home to support our country and to promote and development and also to support the entire continent as a whole. Help you to appreciate the various stakeholders and what's in this for them. I mean, for the average young person who's, who dreams about, I have a big team of technical people working around me and I can look into their eyes and I can tell all of them if I put them on a plane to go outside, they, go. they would happily <laughs> go. Yes. What's in, the, in that, let's start with the main stakeholder. What's in it for the returnee? What exactly is? I mean, first of all, people come back home. Um, in the case of um, the people that surrounded me, when I came home deliberately, they didn't come home deliberately. It was the time when the U.S. economic crisis happened in 2007-ish, when the Wall Street crisis happened. A lot of young professionals who were doing very well, Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs and others, were laid off. And they were laid off due to the economic crisis and the fact that they're there was a general layoff. Now, if you're an international student or an international worker, when you're laid off, you have to come home, pretty much, otherwise you're deported. And we had a breed of young people coming home as a result. Now, that can be a problem or that can be a solution. 
um, I chose to look at it as a solution based actually on all the complaints that we had in conversations that I would have with people in write-ups that I started doing at the time was Facebook notes. And I started writing the good, the bad, the ugly of the return. And what I found was that... What was good? What was good? Home. As soon as you get from Kotoka International it's Airport, and you read that air, or the air, it's the air. It starts right. with the air. And then you know that for me as an Achim Kotomri, all the way. Kotomri and Bordeaux, when you cook it in the US, it's not the same. I know, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's, it's home. There's something. Look, Ghana has its problems, no doubt about it. Now, for me, as an international development practitioner, I've also traveled a lot on the continent. And to be honest with you, every time I want to come home, the peace, the people, the camaraderie, even the complaints, there's something about it that from, is just from the all together. Exactly. <laughs> yes. The Nigerians think our, our countries, we, we don't know our country. They think we are so blessed, we don't even know. This is true. They, they, they genuinely I get it across every African country I go to. Right. Yeah. So that's it for the person coming back. What about the person, the those at home? What is the what are the potential flashpoints or pushback or tensions or frictions between the person coming back with a skill, but also with sometimes with certain orientations, right. and then the person who stays and who has worked here all their lives? Mm -hmm. What are the potential tensions, and how does Aspera help people to appreciate how to iron these out? So in the stories, I would write, like you asked me, the good. I'd also write the bad and the ugly. But I'd also write some epiphanies. Now, what I found was that, you know, when you write Facebook things, people write on your wall. Those who had left and came back would be like, oh, my God, Christopher, I'd never thought about this. For example, I'll talk about how I thought my productivity was lower here. And I realized that it was two things, traffic and heat. If you spend all your time in traffic, you're losing time in the day. Heat drains you as well. So I needed to start reorienting myself in how I deal with these two issues once I understood it. So anybody that had left was excited by the simple thing that I put out. Anybody that had stayed felt like I was insulting Ghana. So I saw very quickly a rift in the two people who are both citizens. The difference being that one had left, came back with complaints. One had stayed, held the fort, and really made it work. But I realized that we all need to find our place and be the solution. So for us, it was to bridge home and abroad. I'll come to the bridge. Let's go to the ugly. <laughs> what, was, what was extreme? Hey, so again, it's totally personal. Um, I was in the office one day, and for whatever reason, apparently I don't look Ghanaian enough. And so people assume also that I can't speak any Ghanaian language. I speak tree pretty well. My mother insisted that we spoke tree at home when we were kids. And I had colleagues. Govi is my idol, so I, I'll leave it to him. Right, just, just for the benefit of those yes. who might, must be asking who's this brother, he's a regular here. I can't even call him anything else than than the than the quintessential springboard. Kofi is, Kofi is big here. He comes here anytime he wants to come, and, and we always have a great time from from history to engineering to management to to IT. Yeah. Kofi is just it. It's great guy. Yeah, so I'm the Happy one New that Year comes. To Happy New Year, Kofi. <laughs> I'm the one that comes after, after Kofi. I'm and, the, and he speaks the in little sister. He does. Yeah. He actually does. Yeah. I'll give it to him. Yeah. Because these days I realize I don't think as much in tree anymore. So if you ask me to talk seriously, English would keep coming. Okay. So yes. you think in English and translate to tree? Yes. So I'm in the office in the hallway and people are talking about me in tree. Basically talking about how I'm too known, I'm too fast. I want everything pepepe. And they had no idea that I knew what they were saying. Wow. I kept walking. And you did you relate that to 
your the fact that you were everything. It was a new person I was. And before, I would apologize for it. And so over this experience, thinking through analyzing and research, as so I analyze a lot, I decided to own the new me. And the new me was this Ghanaian who is global, global and local. And it's a special place to be. And if you have a mindset towards owning that, it's very powerful. If I understand you right, and I also try my very best to summarize what I learned so I can contextualize it. Are you saying, in effect, that there is a blessing in being able to bring to the table not just your local experience, but also a global appreciation? And so people should not apologize for having had exposure outside our shores. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. If I had my own way, everybody would travel. You know the saying, travel and see? True, our words could not have been spoken. I appreciate cultures. I'm more confident. I'm an ambassador of Ghana. I wear my African fabric more outside than I do even at home because there's this thing that everybody, as soon as they see you, I went to college in Ohio, middle of nowhere, Ohio. And people, a lot of people hadn't even seen black people before, let alone a Ghanaian. And so the first question they ask you is, where are you from? They don't ask you what you do. Where are you from? And so immediately you start speaking about your country, thinking about your continent differently. So that is something that is really spiritual and special, I think. And you need to bring it back to the country. They have to benefit from this experience. That um, in my work, a lot of young people I talk to, um, one time a husband took our mentees to just pram pram. And I asked them on the bus, how many of you have been to the beach? Three quarters of the bus had never just gotten up to go to the beach. And these mentees are people based here in Ghana? Correct, yes. So you, would it be your, your submission that we don't know our country enough? We do not. Why? We do not. A lot of people will go to school, church, and then their community in the same area. Ask how many Ghanaians have been to Mole, how many people have been to Bumpumbu Yoyo, how many people have been to areas in Bongahapo. Very, very, very little. They know where they are from very well, and they're proud of it but they haven't explored. Thanks to Springboard, I've done quite a bit of this country, but I, I would agree with you. I, and I have very, very fine opinions about the beauty of our regions and Absolutely. our domestic tourism and the cleanest region. I don't share these thoughts on here because it brings trouble. No. <laughs> but there are some regions that are I so... I actually have my most so beautiful region. Serene, yes. so clean. Yes. There are some yes. cities you ask yourself, ah, is there any rubbish here? I mean, it's so clean. Absolutely. But we don't know because, because we don't make the effort. What should we do differently from where you sit? From where I sit, if you have been abroad, you should always look back to come home. Not necessarily for, I used to explain that we should come home fully. So I came back on a one-way ticket, but I've been back so many times that now my story has changed. You should have, first of all, a mindset of coming home, which then allows you to give back. It could be to a community school. It could be to a child who needs healthcare. And then you should also consider the periodic returns, and ultimately, if possible, the return. Now, that return, to me, is not just Ghana, it's the continent, because we need to look at it, at it broader and see what opportunities are there for us as Africans to build our continent as a whole. Juxtapose this against the African-Americans who are not necessarily what you would call Ghanaians. Yeah. Some of them just believe it. 
but they don't have any empirical basis of calling themselves Ghanaians, mm-hmm. who seem to be extremely excited about return and invest. I mean, you hear them talk about saving to come to Ghana. Absolutely. Talking of which, I once heard a Nigerian preacher, and I, I've seen that video. It's, my, it's almost the ultimate for me. Mm-hmm. Say that, listen, Charlie, be exposed. Don't sit in your one place here in Lagos and don't travel anywhere. If you need least travel to Ghana. I said, hold on a second. You really say that? Mm-hmm. He was preaching travel to Ghana and see Ghana and come back. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a shock for me. Right. So for those people who live abroad, who are African-Americans, who save, plan for, they make so much noise about it and come to Ghana, mm-hmm. especially in December yes. at the end of the year, and then juxtapose it against a Ghanaian who may may be able to afford it, but never adds that to their plan. How do you explain the dichotomy? Can I speak freely? Absolutely. <laughs> Ghanaians are comfortable. What does it mean? We're blessed with peace. We're blessed with resources. We have issues, yes, and it's actually worse now than probably in my lifetime. But we are comfortable with little. So the lady selling tomatoes, if she can get her 200 cities revenue a month, she's okay. You will find that countries that have been conflicted, whether it's actual war, whether it's um, civil rights movements, these economic crises to extremes, they tend to want more. And I, sometimes I feel like that is part of the problem. So the African-American is not comfortable in the U.S. for the most part because they see for the, a lot of the times they're second-class citizens, even today. You know about the number of African-American males who have been killed. Um, driving while black is, an, is actually a 10. They treat you differently. Racism is real. So if you have a place that is saying you're welcome, and by the way, let me say, I think that the year of return idea was one of the best things that has ever happened to Ghana, I from so. where I sit. And I really applaud the government for making it happen and pushing it to beyond the return. And I think it will continue um, for a very long time. It has its problems, but you know, in terms of the conceptual idea, is excellent because what we're doing is we're saying to the outside world who believe they look at they look like us they feel like us if you go to jamaica you mentioned Dokum, they know what it is anansi they talk about it so it's the same people really just have been scattered across and we're saying come home this is an option for you for them it's actually even more so a spiritual journey more than the investment piece of it for which a lot of them have done big and small investments but that spirituality of it for them to come back and see what happened to the ancestors. When you and I go to Cape Coast and Elmina, it's just a historic journey. For them, it's real, it's personal. The fact that you had uh, churches and a slave, slave dungeon right below a church, and it was the ancestors that were there. So they are coming on a mission, a mission to find their roots, a mission they'll tell you. When I went to Ohio, actually, for example, It was the first time that I was defined black and I fought it hard. For them, they don't have an option. This is who you are. The first thing they look at is the color of your skin. And then they come here and they are one of the majority in a way they've never been before. So it's something that is, it's amazing that we thought it's important to push this route. When you talk about supporting people to come back, what does it mean? When I returned home, I felt a little bit um, lonely. I naturally went to find people like me. And it's because... You know how we're set up. I did boarding school in Ghana. I went to Ibrahim Girls, but I didn't do university. You're a strong old school network, so you shouldn't have been lonely. Well, this is the thing. I lost it because it was built even stronger in the university. People married each other. People befriended each other. So you come back and you are outside that circle and you need to find it somehow. 
And what I found was that sometimes it was more difficult to actually find it in the old school system because it was so solidified at the university level that it was better to actually find it in some sort of groups. So I started looking for groups. I'll tell you, you know Kofi. When Kofi came, he found it through his Achimota old friends and then built, rebuilt the network. My sister Abasa, who comes before Kofi came, and she couldn't find it. And I realized that I may go back and never return if I didn't find it. And so it didn't necessarily have to be within the school network. It could be church, it could be clubs and such. And I thought in my conversation, it was in the association. The fact that people already know where the best pork joint is. And for me, I need to find it before I can throw a party. The fact that I'm looking for a job, but I'm not, and you know, I, I tell people that Ghana, it's not that Ghana doesn't have systems. We have a system. Our system is people. So if you lose touch with the people, it's slower for you to do the things you can do. So you need to build it. Relational equity. Absolutely. That most, is our most, system. Most people underrate the power of relational equity, Absolutely. but it's, it's huge. Absolutely. It is huge. Yes. So what, you, so what you do is try to connect people to networks? Is that what you do? what it is. So we started a list self, now turned into an app where people can ask any question under the sun. And what I did to in that whole pursuit of bridging home and abroad is we included people also who were interested but had never left, who were curious. Because they are a resource. They know, they've been here. They know where you can, actually there's still one question still not answered, which is where to rent a tuxedo. But I realized that it's a very American thing. Here, the tailor will make it for you. It's yeah. affordable enough and it's special enough. Yeah. Whereas abroad, you're just wearing it that one night, so you rent it out. Yeah. So it's that one question. But aside that, questions are answered. We started from 12 people to now we have over 3,000 people who are able to respond to questions. And it's that critical mass building that helps you find that job, get that house mortgage at a discount, or just make friends, get married. People have gotten married on through the relational social happy hours we've had as well. Wow. So what do the people who come on the network, your app, what are their biggest issues? Usually it's getting to know people, finding their feet. A lot of people will tell you they got on the plane, got down, and somebody said, go find a hasbar because you'll find people like you. You know, when you know how it is, Reverend. Um, mindset is important. We have a similar mindset by virtue of having gone abroad and struggled through it and made that decision to try it back home. And so having like-minded individuals in a space, I think is very useful for people. So for a lot of people, that's what they're looking for. And then jobs would be number two. This is Springboard Yale Virtual University. My guest, Christabel Irajwa, does help me to understand Ahaspora, her mother's own interpretation of Aha, and then you're also Esperan. <laughs> Telling me how she's helping people to brain gain into our system and find their way back. It's something I've done for years, and in different spaces of time, it's been um, easier or more difficult depending on what is happening here economically. But she has a model that says, listen, it's not even just about totally relocating. Mm -hmm. Just have a program that says, don't lose touch with home because when you do, you've lost it forever. When I come back from this break, I'm going to find out from her what she will say to those who say, Charlie, I had More advantage. <laughs> Welcome back to Springboard, your virtual university, and to this amazing conversation with Christabel Irajua Dazi founder of Haspora, helping us to appreciate the journey, the learnings, the project of trying to refocus the minds of people, professionals working across the world on their own home 
and contributing, coming back to their home and finding their place or reintegrating back into this nation. This is brought to you by the Springboard Racial Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Ghana and Enterprise Group with media support from the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Communications Group. So, Christabel, several years ago, my good friend, Kiersem, wrote a play called The Saga of the Returnee. It's sold out over and over and over again. And it was a really good production. And he talked about conflicts in the mind of the returnee, trying to integrate and if I may borrow your words, the good, the bad, and the ugly of finding yourself back home. But that also connects with one of my favorite literary works, The Dilemma of the Ghost by Ama Ateidu, and the fact that if it was the returnee struggled to connect with the local, these struggles, are they, are they real? And is it the fault of one or the other? Let's speak to that. But struggles are real. Um, I think the difference is time also makes it a different type of struggle, but it's a struggle. And the struggle is that you've lost your roots. That's the truth. Whether you decided to leave or you left because of economic issues or even you were kicked out, it's a base that has been removed. And on the kicked out part is like the African-Americans. Um, so when you come back, you've lost time. And making up time, as you know, is very difficult. Um, so from the satire to the book, it's real life, it's experiences. KSM will tell you it's its own experiences. Um, a lot of us come back home and we think that we can pick it. It's like a cookie cutter kind of situation where we can pick what we learned in the West and then just apply it. And then you come and have some realities and you're just stuck, you're blocked, you know? Um, and you also come back and find out that people are doing very well. So sometimes you question yourself as well. So it's a lot of mind games that will play with you regardless of how you return. So I find those two very fascinating, different, but very, very fascinating, um, but a reality that we face. Now, um, for example, my father left the shores at 18 to go to medical school and would come visit, but he didn't really, really come back to retirement. He is facing a different struggle than I when I left after high school, and then I came back 13 years later, um, because I still have all growing up to do in, in Ghana and the continent that will make me mature differently than my father who is set in his German ways and is going to be expected to um, understand that trotter drivers weave through traffic. I, and he was gonna stand for his rights. And if you are not careful, that turns into an accident. What do you do? So there's a bit of unlearning to do, relearning. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all the internal conflicts that come with it. Yes. Let me swing to the, the countries that deliberately export talent as a national policy. What do you think of it? I think it's an excellent idea. So I think as much as possible, everyone should be exposed to new countries. Whenever I travel, be it for work or for pleasure, I always go to the local bars and talk to people when they are relaxed um, about their society. And you learn something different than when you're reading a book or you're looking at social media. You learn about intricacies of how they're proud of where they're from or how conflict has shaped them or how human rights abuses have made them a different breed, you know, I talk to the taxi drivers who will tell me the true story. Yes, 
Yes. And the barbers. <laughs> and exactly, you know. And I appreciate the cultures. It makes me, I, I think it enriches who I am as a person when I understand why how a Filipino thinks differently than a Ghanaian or the commonalities we have, because you'll find that there are many as well. So if I had my own way, everybody would travel. I joke, but I actually hope it happens that one day I'll be rich and I'll put a plane ready, open for young people who want to go. And I'll send them to Wisconsin, USA in February, intentionally. Why? Because it's snowing, it's cold, it's freezing. You're going to freeze out of your mind. You're going to experience, because I feel like, look, Reverend, we have the bloggers come back after 25 years with gold chains and Range Rover. But they know that for 25 years, they were working 15, 16 hour shifts. A lot of them were living in one bedrooms with eight people sharing beds. That's not the life we live here. Are you suggesting that things are tougher out there than people make it out to be? They are, and they are even if you went the way I went, which was have a scholarship and go to school. Stop it. I worked in the kitchen. I have never worked in a kitchen in Ghana. I mean, let's, let's be real about it. But I say this and I also say to my mentees that if I was in graduate school babysitting to make money so that I could live in New York City, why don't you want to try those sorts of jobs here? Mm. And all we want to do is sit in an office and cross our legs. So, though, you know, the two... It's real. It's real. Yeah. And the two shape you in a way. And we need to tell the true stories. But interestingly enough, when you tell the not-so-good stories, they say it's because you've been and you don't want us to go. And that's not true. Can you tell me one, one or two? <laughs> for the root, for the root. No, I've been fortunate. I went to school and then I found jobs. But I also know people. I, I went to Columbia University for graduate school. And I know Africans who sat at home for two years and couldn't find jobs by nature of their color. They put in their resumes and they are probably some of the best. Educated there. They educated there. They show up for interviews. They went to Ivy League institutions and they can't find jobs. Some would argue that here too they can't find jobs. True. However, I also think there's a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities that we could pick up on. Or like I said, I'm cleaning tables in the U.S. Why can't I go and start a, a cleaning service in Ghana? where I support like people like my mother who's 75 years old and because of the way things have changed in this world, she wants to still live in her house on her own, but she needs help. Somebody once said to me that when you sell your family land or raise all that money and travel and get there and realize it's not, it's not like you think, you just can't come back. No, you cannot. You can't come back because, True. I mean, how True. do you explain that Ankoyi? Yeah. This is it. And this is why we don't get the true stories, you know, because for some, it's great. You know, what I like about home is I can do new things. I can be special. When I returned home, a young girl needed 160 Ghana cities to be able to go to school. Her family was choosing her brother over her because that's all they could afford. 160 Ghana cities. At the time, it was something like 16 or $20. I gave that young girl 160 Ghana cities a term, and it was nothing to me. And today, she's in the university. And about feel, to be done. You feel good about it. You feel I feel that so, so fulfilled. Nice. I couldn't have done that in the U.S. Right. One, it will cost more. I couldn't have excelled. I couldn't have built an Ahaspa in the U.S. And I feel like this is what we need to understand that because it's a developing country, there's opportunity for you to set yourself apart. In the same industries, they say there's nothing new under the sun, and I believe that, right? But you can join in partnerships with people and thrive. And if you get the chance to go and ex be exposed and sometimes go through some of these struggles, but you eat your humble pie and come back home, 
you come back and you'll probably be one of the top Ghanaian. Let's settle on the fact that they also are people who are doing incredible things Absolutely. out there and doing very, very yes. well. I mean, that, yes. that, that's the balance of the story that we need to bring. Absolutely. I was doing well. I had a good job. I had a car. I had an apartment. If I pay my electricity bill, the lights stay on. So I was comfortable. I will, and I could have kept going and I would thrive because there are stepping stones out there that help you. There's structure that allows you to follow a path and, and thrive. So I'm not trying to say that staying abroad is a bad thing. No, not at all. The story needs to be balanced the same way that we also need to balance the story of the people who go and struggle and don't come back and tell it. Um, what I'm saying is that, and I'm actually also not saying everybody should come back home. The right. reality is that there's a space for everybody to thrive and you need to start from yourself. If you are going to come back home, you need to come because it's something you want to do. I came back home because my grandfather taught us that it's important for us at any point to give back. And when I made that journey, it was a personal one. It wasn't by pressure. It wasn't because it was the next thing to do. And what that did for me is that when I went through my struggles of the return, I still went back to my purpose. I still went back to my community I built. The community that now has become bigger than me, that is seeing investments, that is contributing to the diaspora policy, um, that is looking Africa-wide. And now I can't just say, okay, Christopher, I'm tired. I won't do this anymore. It's, because it's there was an intention. Now. Way bigger. Let's go back to where it all began. You mentioned the Embry girls. When you were in Embry girls, did you think that you would be doing this? No, not for a second. What was the plan? <laughs> The plan was to finish my economics, geography, elective math degree and go to University of Ghana and maybe become a lawyer like my mother. And then what happened? And then I finished the Brie Girls and there was a strike in Ghana. So there was a one year gap and I started applying to schools. And my brother, my two sisters went to the UK and my brother was the first to go to the US and insisted that it was the US. The US provided an, a tertiary education. That was what would propel the world. So that's where I should do. So I started going to, at the time, USAID to look into the book. And once I found the school, the college I went to in Ohio, and I left. In the college, like I mentioned, it was in the middle of nowhere. On my way from the airport to the school, I was very concerned. Cows are smelling, grass, uh, barns, and I'm like, hey, is this what is this <laughs> that I've done to myself? And it was funny because when they talk about culture shock, they're thinking you're from the continent and not developed, and now you're coming to America and they need to help you through culture shock. And I said, I don't know if you call it reverse culture shock, but my shock is not a positive one. I am in the middle of nowhere and I don't understand. I'm a city girl, you know? Um, but what that did for me is that I went to a liberal arts, very small liberal arts college. There wasn't anything to do in the, in the town. So I stayed on campus and I built leadership. And I was part of the first inaugural ambassadors program at Worcester. That was a foundation that gave a grant for five people for a year to study their countries and be ambassadors. And this is the building that I got of why I'm Ghanaian, why I love to wear fabric, why I like to tell our story, how we are who we are as a result of being the first African country to gain independence. Um, so it wasn't the plan at all, but it got built over time. And even the coming back, at some point, it's, I may not have come. Um, and, and that's okay too. But there was just that inkling. And, and this is where I really appreciate my maternal grandfather who, you know, was part of, you know, the independence movement, there's the front liners and then there's, the back benches. he was one of them. And he would tell us stories of all the things he experienced during independence and just made us hungry and patriotic. So coming home was always at the back of my mind and something to do. And then I got here and 
you know, as God would do it. Selfishly, I needed a, a support system. Didn't find it and created it. Let's talk about the power of deliberateness. What do you think? How important, especially as we we start a new year, how important is deliberateness? I think in our conversation, um, we talked about how people are exported abroad. You can allow people to go, get on the boat, and they'll figure it out, or you can be intentional about it. We talked about the year of return. You can allow people to just enter Ghana when they feel like it, or you can be intentional and say, this is a destination that you should consider. I think in leadership, deliberateness is important. Um, my my story, same thing. Creating a Haspa was a deliberate reason for me to stay or to at least be around people like me and build my continent. Um, somebody may do it through investment banking, I'm doing it through building community and building partnerships at almost, you can call it a local level. Um, but you have people who tell you stories about how they came and they literally were leaving. And somebody said, go to an Haspa social networking event. They met people, had conversations. And today they are partnering in businesses here. The, rest, the rest is history. And the rest Let's is talk history. about nurses. Yes. Nurses. I know, I know several professionals are, uh, are on the bandwagon, but the, the case of the nurses is quite an interesting one. I, I, you speak to some of them and they say, listen, we graduated and we, we don't have jobs. And the figures that they call um, that are available if we found ourselves in certain countries mm-hmm. are just too mouth-watering. And it's not even like we have an option. How can deliberateness be brought? If you were the decision maker, what kind of thoughts would run through your head about how to handle the necessary things? If I were the decision maker, and I studied development, so I'm actually also talking theoretically as well as in practice, I would consider the highest paying jobs to be nurses, Mm -hmm. teachers, doctors, the medical field and the educational field. I am convinced that if we figure out our education, we will go places. But you can't figure out education and have unhealthy people. So to me, and I'm not a nurse or a teacher, so I'm not being biased. These two professions need to be elevated in terms of the perks that they get. And this is the model abroad. So the nurses that are leaving to go abroad are going to get paychecks that they've never seen before in their life. They're going to work hard, no doubt about it, but they work hard here as well. So there's a system that we need to look at that propels how we can have more of them stay and be comfortable. But also we should send them off because when we do it deliberately, they earn skills that they may not be exposed to here that they can bring back um, at different points of their lives for those who will return. So so that's what I think. So, I mean, so you are saying that instead of, they'll go anyway, so instead of just letting them go, facilitate the yes. process and have a stake in it. Absolutely. Talking about nurses and going abroad and working hard, let me greet Professor Lydia Ziatu, Vice Chancellor of UHAS, uh, who's shared a very interesting story about working abroad and using a hoist for the first time. Here she would have to carry the patient yeah. and then she, she talks about the, the pleasant surprise of using a hoist to do what she would typically do manually. Mm-hmm. But I find that in her in, in her case, for instance, having worked here and having worked there, she comes back with a different mindset mm-hmm. and then becomes the first nurse to become vice chancellor mm-hmm. because the exposure gives her much more breath. And, and so that's another case of the benefit of experiencing different Absolutely. worlds. Absolutely. Have you ever failed before, Christopher? Oh, so many times. Tell me about failure. <laughs> it's not fun. Mm. Particularly for a person who is a perfectionist like me. I was brought up by two perfectionists as parents. You've met Kofi, so you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, failure is hard. Failure is hard. Um, I've failed many times. Failed 
almost failed my elective math exam when I had all A's in the rest, but that one was my own fault. I failed at married. I failed. And that was tough. That was tough because I make good decisions as far as I'm concerned. And this one was a difficult one. I had to really be intentional about how I rise from it. Um, I failed at work. Let me pause for a minute sure. and borrow your, since you've been so kind, and I use, I'm using my words advisedly, since yes. you've been so kind and so bold to mention something that people would rather stay off that you say you failed at. Take a minute to talk to somebody who also is struggling or mm. did not make it in that space mm. and share your heart with them. Unbiased, I'll, I'll take your your thoughts and that works with me. Yes. If um, somebody's, somebody didn't make it and, and is carrying the weight of that loss 10 years, 15 years, what would you tell them? Reverend, I think it starts with young women. I think there's a high pressure on young women to be married and I experienced it. And I am a pretty, I'd say bold person. So I worry for the timid young Ghanaian woman who is trying to pursue a career until they are married, they, are not, they haven't arrived, as we, we say in our society. And I think that pressure actually makes people make hurried decisions. Um, and I'd like to encourage people to be okay with not being married. I like to start from that because this is some of the analysis that I've had my internal introspection. There's also pieces where, and you will know this, it's not, there's no one size fits all. And so you may get it wrong and that's okay too. My biggest um, pain in the process when I knew I needed to leave was the fact that I was blaming myself for not having seen that this was not something I should have done. And God bless Reverend Nkumu, whom you may know, who counseled me and helped me through the journey of forgiving myself and knowing that you won't always get it right and that's okay. And having gone through that therapy was why I can sit here today and smile and, and do the things I do. And, and the other thing I'll say also is talk about it. I didn't talk about my problem as much as I should have. Have that circle. Also because I was brought up to shut the door and be strong. I'm supposed to be a strong Are you alone in that? Are we not all raised like that to hide yes. our struggles For the most part. and carry it? For the most part. What happens when we do that? It's a problem. You maybe could have gotten information that would help you appreciate what you are going through and deal with it maybe differently. Um, from the beginning, maybe not even going or when you are in, what to do with it. Um, vulnerability is important. But you have to find the right circle also because we're a very tiny society. I mean, Reverend, we need to talk about it. This is the first time I've actually openly talked about it. I feel very honored that you should. <laughs> and um, I know people bash me for talking about it. Too. Why? Because it's a small country and people will know. There are some people who know who the two of us are. You've not you mentioned know? the other party. You no. talk about yourself. It's a, it's a, it's a, people can't figure it out. You know, So people don't have these conversations because it's not allowed. You know? I mean, the first thing is just even the societal bashing of a woman being divorced already has its own I've had some of my finest, my finest um, guests on this show talk boldly about the not having made it in that space. And several people reach out to say, oh, you blessed me because you, mm. you shared about your vulnerability and the fact that you, you failed before. I think that we sometimes are very unkind to ourselves because we don't allow people to say, I'm struggling, because they must look good and sound good. I once said to somebody, you're struggling with your business. Why don't you talk about it? He says, it's more fashionable to say, I struggled sometimes. But you can't say it when you are going through. Yes. Let's talk about the implications yes. of mental health, for instance. This is it. Because you mentioned therapy, you mentioned counseling. Yes. Would it be your opinion that there are people who are 
who could be helped or who are carrying the whole world as it were on their shoulders? I've met a lot, even in the workspace. Women who are not okay, they are bipolar. And we don't talk about it. today she's screaming tomorrow she's smiling all the signs are there but for us somebody who is, needs help is the one who is the mad person who's naked on the street we need to take mental health more seriously the other piece that is even a big one is emotional abuse we don't talk enough about it right. because it's easier to go and say oh my husband beats me oh yes then you can leave the marriage but for me to explain why i needed to leave it didn't make sense it still doesn't make sense to some people but i knew what's mentally and emotionally what it was was doing to the person I was and I had to walk away from it right and I think that we need to have these conversations at a hospital for our mentees and by the way I keep saying mentees we uh, give back give back is a big part of what we do um we have a session called tell it like it is and we divide what girls and guys so that they can have these conversations and we should have them early. These are high schoolers. We don't have these conversations enough in school. Yes you learn about biology and the body but we need to talk more about our society and some of the pressures it has on us um, to be a certain way. I heard somebody saying that um, a certain politician had gone to get married so he could be vice president. Really? So he's not good enough because he's not married? That's a problem. If you had a chance to change a course in our academic curriculum, free reign, introduce any course that you like, what would it be? Um, now that I say this, maybe this, but I would actually have said more on um, career development. So let me give you two slots. Uh, give me two. So one would be to have these true discussions around psychology, you know, um, what happens in the mind as you're growing up, what it means. And the intersection with religion, because I do think religion is part of why we can't have some of these conversations. Help me to understand. Reverend Okran, you have young girls who are raped and they'll go and tell their mothers or their aunties and the response will be, oh, Papa yourself, he's a priest or a pastor. He's high in society. You don't do that. Fashion, keep it to yourself. I can name names. Many, 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 many names. So why do they do this? Because that is the structure we have. We don't, how do they say, touch not uh, the anointed. That mentality means that you don't is, speak is, truth is, to power. Is, is that a meaning of that scripture? No, it's not. But that, it's a translation of how we use it a lot. And a lot of, in a lot of examples, and it's a problem. And I'm, I'm just using this one example. It's, it's just one. Um, it's in the workplace as well. You know, so I would like to tell real stories, bring people in. And I know people, some schools like Ashesi does this a lot where they bring people from the workplace into the leadership classes to have real life conversations. Our young people are struggling for it. When you open up to them, the things they tell you. Um, recently, we had our 25th anniversary of Abri Girls and there was a mentoring session. And when you hear what the young girls say, we do that teenpreneurship is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Sometimes you leave the place in tears because of the brokenness of some of the young people and the experiences that they are going through. With all you, with what you do, um, Christabel, as we wrap up this conversation, 10 years from now, what would you call success? Success for me in my professional life would be to go all the way up to the top in the World Bank, which is where I work, uh, Vice President. Breaking news. <laughs> success for me also would be to see the dream of a Ahaspra go beyond Ghana. It was a movement for the continent, not just Ghana. And I think we've established something good here on, on in Ghana, and we need to set examples across where we start building a critical mass of people that partner together in politics, 
partner together in investments, partner together in even friendships, build bonds across the continent. So that this after we talk about AFCTA, African Free Trade, is not just a talk, but it's a reality. So that we can go across the continent and not need visas, for example. We can trade, we can have, go beyond our language barriers. So for me, that is the dream. It's scary. It's almost impossible from where I sit on um, both counts, actually. But it's, it's, it will happen. I believe it. That's what makes it beautiful. Christopher, before I let you go, reluctantly, you must promise you, you should come back again and sure. let's do this one more time. You are a fellow of Aliwa and you have a project and I'm sure Ahaspora is your project. Okay. So for the benefit of anyone and talk to that young person listening and seeing, a lot of what you're saying connects so powerfully to me. Give them a message of hope as they, they spring into this year 2024 that lies ahead of them. Give them a, a message for the year ahead. So I live by two terms. The first one is to whom much is given, much is expected. And I lived by that term because much was given to me. I was lucky to have education. I was lucky to have profession. And so I have to give back. But I also want young people to know that much is given to everyone, even if it's very, very little. So wherever you are, and this is my second term, you surely have to be the change that you want to see in the world. And your world could be the fact that you're a chorister and you go early and clean the chairs so that people don't sit on dirty chairs. Leadership is not just president of, vice president of. Leadership is seeing a tiny little problem in your community, seeing mothers who just need help carrying their babies and stepping up to do it. And I think that if you take that approach in life, you will really thrive. But on your way to thriving, know that it's a ladder and you need to take it a step at a time. And it's okay sometimes when you have to go back and um, have the conversation of failing. We all fail sometimes. People think I've arrived <laughs> and you know they don't know some of the things we go through. It's not a quick and fast journey. It's a marathon and not a sprint. Thank you. So here I am with a cocktail of lessons to choose from, <laughs> ranging between vice president and then the 160 Ghana CD life-changing investment in series and then the the dance between failure and the reality of being able to share your story and your pain with somebody who is learning from you and then the joy of being able to grow something from 12 people to over 3,000. And just the real you who says, listen, when I got there driving through the barns and the cows, I was saying, was Accra not a better place that I left? All these are beautiful lessons and Christabel, they are available for everyone listening out there on our social media handles. Choose freely from all the lessons that she shared. Which one is your favorite? Let's have this big debate. Which one connected with you the most? And in the midst of it all, I want to say a big thank you to you, Christabel Dazi, for making time to join us and talk about Ahaspra. I think it's a beautiful story you. you've shared. And I pray that the, the God who is so faithful will strengthen you this year, guide you this year. And when you come back next year for a renewal of your visa on spring break, <laughs> It will be an even more beautiful story with the numbers having grown way beyond what we discussed today and the quality of lives of people having been enriched even more. So thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Really feel honored. Really do. Yeah, it's thank a great you. one. It's a great one. It's a beautiful story you've told and I, I really have enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, so for all of us out there, this has been Springboard, your virtual university, brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Ghana Enterprise Group with media support from the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Communications Group.
Till we come your way again next week, my name is Albert Okran saying God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. Mm-hmm.